This is the Holland Assets Podcast, where we show you how to start and run your own trucking company. Ever wanted to go out on your own? Follow Chris as he goes through the highs and lows of running on his own authority. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to episode 53 of the Holland Assets Podcast. I am Craig, and he is... It's Chris. Chris. The same one as always. Yeah, well, you know, we can't seem Nothing to get rid here. of you. Yeah. It's not like not like you're the vital one around here. <laughs> I'm worse than the coronavirus. We just can't can't get rid of me. Oh, wow. <laughs> we went there, apparently. Well, welcome to the show, everybody. All right. So today we're talking about this. This is continuing our hiring a driver series. I think this is what the third or fourth episode we've done. And uh, whatever. It's the, Some, somewhere around. I can't even remember like now that. that you think about it. Today we're going to be talking about screening drivers. Now, in the first episode i think we did chris you said this is the most important part of hiring a driver or the the one you want to get wrong the least right Correct. and so this one is going to be a topic that uh that is extremely important if you've ever thought about hiring a driver and so if you are interested in this subject i want you to go to hollandassetsllc.com now i say that just about every episode go to hollandassetsllc.com for full show notes and etc etc but this time, I really mean it, Chris. It's This one's jam-packed with stuff. It's got videos in it. It's got um, some helpful guides, um, some lists, some some other things. So more so than normal. It's probably got four times as much stuff as our normal set of show notes. Yeah. So as you listen to this, I mean, obviously, listen to the episode, and we're going to have a lot, of, uh, a lot of tidbits for you. But uh, to reinforce that, to get the links we're talking about, the videos that Chris will mention, you definitely want to go to hollandassetsllc.com and click over to the show notes there. Okay. So, oh, and also, please give us five stars on uh, Apple Podcasts and everywhere else because we're awesome. Yeah, we we love the reviews. I, I read each and every one of them, as I've said in the past. And, and you know what? Sometimes this podcast thing is not as easy as you would think. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, every once in a while, it's nice to hear, read some of those reviews and, and people being thankful for this. It, uh, it, it, it's nice to have a little bit of affirmation that what we're doing is helping people out and they like it. And Chris letting his heart out a little uh, bit. Yeah, yeah. So Chris, refresh me on why this topic is so important. You said this was the, the most vital piece of the hiring puzzle. Why is that? Well, if you, if you want to grow your company you obviously have to do that with drivers. You have to get drivers. Hiring and keeping drivers is always one of the top five issues within the trucking industry that trucking company owners consistently talk about. And in fact, oftentimes it's the number one challenge that they face. And today we're going to talk a lot about the hiring part of those employees. But at the end of this episode, I'm going to dive just a little bit into some of the important things that you need to think about if you want to keep those guys that you hire. You put a lot of time and effort into hiring them last thing you want to do is have them quit in three weeks. So you want to keep them around. Yeah. I mean, if you want to keep people around, you got to put some thought and effort into the screening part of it, right? Absolutely. Which is what we're going to do today. But before we do, uh, any any tales from the road? You're not on the road as much. And so I haven't asked you as as forcefully or as often, but uh, I'm curious, anything going on these days? You know, we've had some fun, interesting experiences. Um, I don't know what the deal is with the weather this year, but it seems like spring was really mild, but then you get into like the last half of May and the first half of June and it's just kind of gone nuts. Um, we've run into some huge wind issues. We've, we've seen some trucks blow over in, in the, uh, the mountains in the not, West. Not you. Not me, not us specifically, but, 
Mike got caught in one of those uh, windstorms up in Wyoming a, a week or two ago and was just driving along the road. And the, the, the hood has two latches, one on each side that holds the hood down. And one of them, it was blowing so hard, it actually broke the latch. Wow. And, uh, you know, so he kind of had to play around with that. It's funny, he called me while it was happening and I couldn't even, you know, you could hear him outside. The wind just blowing across the phone. You could hardly understand him. He, it, was, it was one of those where it's blowing 40 to 60 mile an hour winds and just something you definitely want to be off the road if uh if you've got a if you don't have a loaded truck even even with a, a really loaded truck it's sometimes it's hard to keep those things in between the lines where's the worst place in the country you could be for a windstorm like that wyoming probably where it's wyoming just wide open yeah wyoming has some really really bad spots on i-80 but so does utah between wendover and salt lake city you know trucks get blown over there all the time so you just don't want to get caught in one of those in fact we had another one that hit, uh, it was right kind of on the border of uh, Wyoming and Nebraska. I think it was actually into Nebraska uh, on the, the very next trip. Same thing happened, except for this time it blew some of the reefer doors off and we had to get some, it broke some of the latches on, or one of, there's four latches on the on the reefer doors and it broke two of them on one of the doors and one of them on the other door and he had to get it fixed. So wow. Mike, when he, when he called me at, at that one, he's all like, uh, Chris, your truck does not like the wind. <laughs> so <laughs> the, the big green machine doesn't like, doesn't like the wind apparently. And when the big green machine gets angry at the wind, it just breaks. Oh, Some okay. breaks. All right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. All right. Yeah. Well, uh, you, you got it all fixed then everything's good no more wind issues hopefully for the rest of this year yeah hopefully the the wind will the wind will die down for a little right. bit well let's talk about screening drivers chris that's what we're here for today that it is i mean we take these diversions but yeah that's why we're here okay screening drivers uh why don't you tee this up for me and i mean you, you talked about why we're talking about this but let's get, tee up the actual subject for me so like like we said and you mentioned earlier this is probably the most important step in the entire hiring a driver process. Um, you never know when someone's going to work out. It's, it's kind of one of those things that you're until the honeymoon stage is over with the driver, you know, you just, you just never know, but you want to do everything you can kind of upfront. It's that whole same adage that we talk about all the time. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. You want to put your due diligence into the process at the beginning. And that increases your likelihood of having a good driver that's going to stick around for a long time. So you want to be picky and especially, especially if it's the first driver for your company, if you're, you know, either an, a, a, a trucking company owner who doesn't have a CDL, or if you're an owner operator trying to grow your company, that first driver is probably the most critical one. So that's where you really, really want to be careful with who you hire. Okay. All right. So what are uh, some of the steps that you would recommend people take or like break it down for me into digestible bits, I guess. So I've, I've, I've basically got, I'm going to call it a, a seven and a half step process. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and that half step is really because that last piece is, is, is optional. It's highly recommended that you do it, but it's not really required by the DOT or any regulation. There's nothing there. I just think it's a really good business practice. Okay. Um, but before we get into that, um, I, I want to talk a little bit more about the importance of hiring drivers and, and a little bit on growth of a trucking company, because this is really kind of a critical thing. This is what I have seen with trucking companies is really probably their biggest challenge, especially small to medium sized trucking companies that are trying to grow. That driver piece is the piece that's either going to make it or break it. Um, so let me talk a little bit about a story from a, a client that we've worked with 
In fact, I worked with this guy from for years and years from the time that he started his trucking company. He was an owner operator for a while and then transitioned and started to grow. He was really successful growing from one to five trucks and then from five to 10 trucks. But I, I've seen this happen time and time again. You know, getting up to that 10 truck part it, or 10, you know, where you've got 10 trucks on the road, a lot of guys can do that really, really successfully. But when you, when you try to grow above that 10 truck piece, that's when things change a ton and how you operate the business and how you manage the business have to change a bunch because you really at that point are starting to hire office staff and a few other things and you've got to get the right people, have the right systems and the right processes in place. And a huge part of that is the right hiring process and making sure you've got that nailed down and well. So what happened with this guy is he decided he wanted to grow from 10 to 20 trucks and what ended up happening, you know, cut into the chase is he got up to about owning 20 trucks, but he ended up going bankrupt. And there, there were some other things going on, but the big piece of this is why, in my opinion, he went bankrupt is because he could not get that hiring and the retention of his driver's piece down. Um, he, he ended up, you know, he, he could manage it with 10, but when he got over that, he just could not hire the right drivers and he, he couldn't keep drivers. He didn't treat his drivers super well. Um, he didn't pay them super well. Instead of paying average or above market rates, he was paying below market rates. And so what ended up happening is he had turnover so much that he owned 20 trucks, but oftentimes had at least five. There were times that I saw that he had 10 of his 20 trucks sitting. So he's all of a sudden having to make um, truck and trailer payments, insurance payments on... 10 trucks or five trucks that are just sitting there. And that kind of ruined him. He had other issues that, that kind of compounded that, but those other issues he could have managed if he could have kept at least 80 or 90% of his trucks running. But he never, like, I don't think he ever had all 20 of his trucks going yeah. at the same time. I think at the most, he probably had 16 or 17 going at once. That's well, I mean, this is the exact same thing you've talked about for 50 episodes when we're talking about just one truck is you, if it's not moving, you're not making money, and those fixed costs are fixed for a reason. They're still going to be there, no matter whether the truck is moving or not. Yeah, they are. Those <laughs> truck payments and everything, they keep coming. Insurance, when you get up into that over 10 truck um, realm, you kind of jump in the insurance category from what's called um, a non-fleet insurance to fleet insurance. And when you get into the fleet insurance, a really good thing happens because instead of charging you by truck, they charge you by mile. So you can technically have 10 trucks sitting and be paying, not, not really be paying insurance mm. on those trucks because they're not moving. But you have to, one, get into that fleet category, which he size-wise was there, but he'd had bad um, insurance issues and wasn't able to get the cream of the crop insurance policies. And he couldn't, he was never able to get into that fleet category. So he was still always paying for insurance on those trucks that were yeah. just sitting. And, and that compounded with, with uh, the truck payments and the uh, trailer payments, he just, it, it drove him under. That's a, the way you're talking about this, by the way, is hilariously reminding me of families who go from two kids to three kids. <laughs> They're like, yeah, one is fine. Two is just double two, but then three, you have no idea. Yeah, you can't hold on to three kids at the same time. You know, you're outnumbered at that point, right? <clears throat> All right. So uh, with this guy in particular, with his situation, what could he have done 
to avoid it. I mean, you've hinted at a few of those things. Treat his drivers better, pay them better, put other, what, better operations in place uh, on the back end. Yeah, and it just boils down to having good drivers and treating those good. If you've got good drivers, you've got to retain them. But the first step is to get the good ones. And we'll talk about retaining them a little bit at the end, but let's, let's, we're going to focus mostly today on getting those good drivers. Okay. So like I talked about, um, you can never completely avoid wrong hires. You're, you, every once in a while, you're going to get a bad apple. That kind of thing just, it, it, it happens. There's nothing you can do to avoid it. No matter how much due diligence you do on the front end, every once in a while, you're going to fi- you're going to get a bad apple. But with that being said, there's a lot you can do on that front end to make it, you know, multiple times more likely that you're going to get the good one. So let's, let's kind of break down each one of the steps. We'll go through them one by one. And again, all this stuff's going to be in the show notes. So you can, if you can listen to this and watch it while you've got it or pull it up while you're listening to the podcast, that'd be awesome. But step one is you've got to develop your minimum hiring requirements. And I imagine there's some guidelines, DOT guidelines or whatever that you can start with to, to start building that list of requirements. The, the DOT itself, other than having a CDL, if it's a CDL required job, so mm-hmm. any truck and trailer combo that's 26, over 26,000 pounds, you have to have a CDL. Other than having a, a, a class A CDL, the DOT doesn't get too far into this. Really, I think the, the best place to start is with your insurance agent. Because your insurance is going to have minimum requirements that your drivers have to meet. And so if you start with them, find out what their minimum requirements are, that's a good place to kind of get going. Okay. All right. So do we want to talk about what would go on your minimum requirements list? Sure. Let's let's talk about a few things. And, and this is going to go first off with, uh, with uh, what's really kind of in line with the insurance agents. So your biggest thing is going to be years of experience. A lot of the times for an owner operator, and we've talked a little bit about this in some of the insurance um, episodes that we've discussed, you've got to have two years driving experience. So your driver is going to, for most situations, going to have to have that two years driving experience. So talk to your agent, find out what the driving uh, um, experience requirement is, find out what they will accept as far as traffic violations, speeding tickets, and things like that. Most insurance agencies will allow like one, maybe two, as long as they're not too severe, moving violations on their their motor vehicle record. But you need to find out what that is. And, and every once in a while, age will become a factor. Um, some insurance agencies won't allow drivers that are under 21 or under 24. I think typically over 24, everybody should be able to get, they should be qualified as long as they meet all the other uh, yeah. requirements. Well, that's why on, you know, on 21st birthdays, a lot of people go drinking and on 25th birthdays, <laughs> people either go rent, go a, rent car a car <laughs> or, uh, or go drive a big rig. <laughs> there it's, you go. It's yeah. a celebration. All Absolutely. right. Uh, anything else that you would put on that list? Um, th- no, not, not specific. Just make sure you talk to your insurance agent. Okay. All right. Very good. So that's step one, develop your minimum hiring requirements. Step two. Step two is that's when you go out and you post the ad and there's a, a few things with the ad. You want the ad to be relevant. So for example, you don't want to be wasting your time. You don't want to be wasting other people's time. So that's why the ad needs to be re- relevant. So if your insurance agency requires that your drivers have two years of experience and no more than one moving violation on their MVR, then you make sure you put that in the ad. So you're not getting phone calls from people that aren't qualified. You know, you're not getting a call from a guy that, Hey, I just got out of truck driving school. I want to come work for you. I just got my CDL. Well, I can't hire you. Yeah. 
Um, so that's a good thing. It'll avoid a lot of those phone calls from people that you, you're you're just not even going to be able to talk to. And this is a topic I actually have a little bit of experience with. And I think some employers treat these uh, like they the ads, they treat them like they are any other ad or they're trying to market. And so, oh, well, you know, we don't want to highlight this. We, we, we want to make it make this position look really great or but in the way you're talking about it and i think the way the real world works is yeah you got to be honest about it what you're expecting and what you're accepting otherwise you're gonna have to wade through way too much stuff yep you don't want to waste your time you don't want to waste their time so make sure the ad's relevant you're not overselling the position you're not underselling it you're giving it a good honest representation of what it is and what it requires so if you're going to have an over the road truck driving position, make sure that's in the ad. You don't want yeah. a guy that's calling you that that wants to be home every night because it's just not going to work. So where do you post your ads? Um, we talked a little bit about this in one of the last episodes, but I posted mine on a local employment board that that's also like your, where you sell everything. It's it's basically like a classified thing. Yeah, classified. So I that's always a good place. Um, indeed, there's there's a bunch of job posting boards out there. One of the things I'd, I'd recommend, as I've mentioned before, is just think about the last time you applied for a job and you were looking to be hired on as a driver. Where did you go look? And you know, those that's a good place to start as far as where to advertise. And you have mentioned previously, you know, that advertising the job out on Indeed or whatever may not be the best place to find a driver, right? This is just one avenue you could go down. That's one avenue, yep. Looking for personal connections or people you've worked with previously, whatever the case may be, right? Personal connections is a great way to start. Okay. All right. So uh, let's go to step three then, Chris. What's step three? You know, step three is probably the most important step of the most important part of this whole hiring process. Oh man, okay. This is is doubly important. How how do you say that? Is it doubly important? Exponentially more important, Chris. I don't (laughs) know. I have no idea. That sounds important. (laughs) <laughs> I think you hit the nail on the head right there. Okay, so what what's step three? Is the interview process. Oh, sure, okay. The interview process. So one of the things that I've got in the show notes is I've, I, I have a very methodical interview process. Um, I ask the same questions to every person when I go through the interview process so that I'm, I'm trying to be consistent from one interview to the next interview so I can give a really good comparison between different applicants. So I have a, a Word document that I use uh, that has all the questions that I use. Um, it, it's got um, kind of broken down for, for my drivers. It's kind of broken down into two categories. One, I'm trying to qualify the guy, make sure he qualifies for the job. And then two, I want to make sure he's a good fit for the company. Or, or gal, Chris, or, or gal, gal. Guy or gal, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. uh, a lot of the times female drivers are a little bit uh, more risk adverse and a better safe risk. That's, you know, that, that's why they, you know, females typically pay less in auto insurance than, than yeah, males yeah, do. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a reason behind that. No, I'm just messing with you. I, I recently looked it up. I think it's 93% of people out on the road in big rigs are men. They are. They're, they mostly are. It's a definitely a very male-dominated yeah. anyway, industry. But uh, there's a lot of great female drivers out there. I've, I've met them. We work with them. And I, I would wish there were more. So in this interview process, you say you, you, you uh, take a very methodical approach to it and you ask them all the same questions. Do you want to reveal what some of those questions are? I actually, I'm posting this in the show notes. So I I don't think we're going to go over the the specifics on the questions. I I want to give one, I do want to give one example. 
But in the show notes, I actually have the document I use. You can download it. You can use it. You can adapt it any way that you want, but it goes through all the questions. It's, it's basically two pages um, front and back. So what I, what I do, well, two pages, just one, you know, one page front and back. So I, how I start off the process is I've got this document. I print it off. I write the, the names, the person's name at the front on the front of the page. And then I just really start to go through the questions and the questions are important. I try to ask questions in a way that gets a, a more honest answer out of the person. So for example, instead of asking, how long do you like to be out on the road? I'll typically ask them, how long have you typically been on the road before coming home for a rest? And was that too much time on the road or was it about right? And the reason I ask it that way is because if the person's typically been on the road for you know three or four days at a time and I want them to be out on the road for um, two weeks at a time, there's a difference there between what they've been doing and what I'm going to expect them to do. And and honestly, a lot of times, if you just ask how long are you willing to be out on the road, they're going to say, "Well, I've been I'm two weeks for sure." And if but they if they've only been doing it for three or four days at a time, you really kind of need to ask more questions and follow up and just make sure that you feel comfortable that they're willing to transition from you know three to four days on the road to two weeks on the road. You know, why do you think that would work? You know, I ask them why they think the two weeks would work when they haven't been doing that. It just, it gives you a little more opportunity to just, just make sure you're hiring somebody that's going to be willing to do the type of job yeah. you're going to ask. Yeah. You're kind of crafting that question to get a more accurate and honest response, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Since you're such a good interviewer and asking questions, I probably should have had you dive into this, this piece of the ha, ha, podcast. Ha. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> okay. So, uh, you, you said you didn't want to dive into all those questions. We're going to put those on the show notes so people can go check those out. Uh, but do you want to talk about kind of generally what are some of the things you look for in a candidate? Yeah, absolutely. A, a driver? And, and there's, there's specific things for sure to look out for. So one, for example, is someone who's moved around jobs a lot. So if you interview somebody and they've, you know, they're, they're changing employers every six months or even every year, you're going to try to want to figure out why that is. And it might not necessarily be a bad thing. You know, if they've been working for companies that, you know, typically treat their drivers poorly, you know, that's going to explain it. But if they've been working for good companies and can only hold a job for six months, there's an issue there. You probably don't want to hire that person. Yeah. And it, it may not even be a, a situation where the company fired them, but this is just a person who gets itchy feet and runs and that's just as bad for you. And that, yeah, absolutely. And you, you, you want to try to hire these, these drivers for, for the long term. That's, that's what's going to be best for you and best for the company. I don't even know if itchy feet is a real thing. I feel like I've heard that somewhere. I like it. It's right. good. We're, we're I think it works. It. Okay. So what's uh, something else you look for? Um, someone that's not done the type of work you're hiring for. So for example, if somebody's only hauled dry van and you primarily do flatbed, yeah. you know, flatbed takes a, a certain level of experience. Reefer takes a certain level of experience. Um, you probably want to be a little bit more picky and make sure you hire somebody that's actually been doing what you need them to do. Okay. All right. That makes a lot of sense. Anything else? Um, when you're, you know, we talked a little bit about this, um, you want to hire somebody that's used to running like you're going to run. So that over the road type thing, if you, you're interviewing somebody that's only done local deliveries and you're hiring for an over the road type, uh, type job, um, that's one area where you'd really want to be careful. You, you know, I, I would avoid unless there's some kind of circumstance that makes you feel really comfortable that like this person has some kind of life ex circumstance that 
would warrant them to change from being home every day or every other day to being out on the road for a week at a time. You just, you just want to be really careful if you're changing somebody from one type of lifestyle to another. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So before we move on to the next step, any final thoughts? Because you said this was so important. I do. I have, I have one more. Okay. Um, and, and then I actually want to just kind of round this uh, interviewing piece up, but the other one is, and this one's, absolutely critical and and one area where I, I really will put my foot down is somebody that's not telling you the truth if they're not telling you the truth in the interview process they're probably not going to tell you the truth in the long run i will give a lot more leeway to somebody that maybe has a little bit of an issue but tells about it tells me about it up front versus somebody that just tries to hide it or try or, or just downright lies about it so like for example if they tell you well i, I don't have any tickets on my mvr and you pull their MVR and there's two tickets on there. Uh, that's the, for me, that's like a deal killer. Yeah. I want to be able to trust the person that I'm hiring. They're going to be in charge of super expensive equipment. They're going to be using your fuel card. They're going to have access to, to money and payments and, and things that, you know, repairs that need to be done on the road. And they're going to tell you it's this much. And, you know, you, can you verify a lot of it? Yes, but there, there are situations where you just, you have to trust them. And, and if they're lying to you about things like that, they're probably going to lie about money and they're probably going to lie about other things. And, and I just, I try to stay away from that kind of stuff. Yeah. So do you, are you crafting questions and creating this uh, interview environment to try to find lies or are you just kind of keeping an eye out in the the normal course of things? I'm more... I'm, I'm a trusting guy in general. So I, I, like I've said in the past, I trust you until you give me a reason not to. So I don't really try to catch them in anything, but you still want to keep your eyes open for that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I it was in my late twenties. I think I got interviewed by a guy who was very combative in a way, like he was hunting for those, he was trying to find it, those lies, you know? And so yeah. he concocted in his mind that I had contradicted myself several times in the interview. And I was like, what is going on here? It yeah, was a no, very I, strange time. Yeah. I, I definitely don't do that kind of thing, but you, you still, you need to keep your eyes open sure. for, for blatant yeah, stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So should we go to step four then? Before that, oh, let me yeah, just tell you, you how, to I wrap kinda, this up. Yeah, how I wrap the interview up. So I always give the person a chance to ask me as many questions as they want. Yeah. Learn about the company, learn about me, learn about anything they want, ask any questions that they want. Um, we, we definitely talk about salary and expectations. You'll see that if you download the questions. Kind Did of you do how, that in your first interview? A, absolutely. Because yeah. I want to make sure we're both kind of have the same expectation. Mm -hmm. um, so you download the questions and you'll see, see how I kind of ask that. But then once I'm done, um, just so I can remember things, I, I, I always write down any specific notes. I, I take notes through the whole thing in the questionnaire. There's space between each question to write down their answers or just take notes about their answers. And I do that. And then at the end, you know, af typically after I hang up on the phone with them or after they step out of my office, um, I'll, I'll write down just some general impressions and thoughts and then I have a scale at the bottom of the second page, a one through 10 scale. And I kind of basically just give them a number. Them. Yep. And, and that's important because you want to capture as much of that information as you can, because if you're going through even five of these in a week, they start to blend together. Yeah. And so you want to make sure you take really, really good notes as you're going through those questions. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. You're like a, it's like a beauty pageant. 
Uh, You're rating these people, Chris. <laughs> it kind of is. Disgusting. <laughs> uh, all right. So that's the interview part. Yeah, now we can move on. We're, we're I, know you've, I know you've wanted to move on to the next step. I, now we can. Not necessarily. Interviewing is the only thing, like like you said, it's the thing I'm good at uh, on, on both ends of the uh, equation. So I'm happy to just talk about interviewing forever. But step four is what? Step four is the pre-employment screening program. Now, this is actually an FS, FM, FMCSA program. Gosh, Say that 10 times. Fast. I've said it a million times in my life, and I still trip <laughs> up on it sometimes. <laughs> All right. An FMCSA requirement. Well, it's not, not actually a requirement? a requirement. It's a program, but it's uh, not a requirement. But if you skip this, personally, I think you're stupid. Is that, I probably shouldn't, that's, that's kind of mean. Isn't look, it? it's a little harsh, but you that. know what? We're going for an honest reaction from you, Chris. Well, so, you just got an honest reaction out of me. So if you skip the pre-employment screening program report, my goodness, that's a lot of words. If you skip it, you're stupid. I think you're stupid. It's a super valuable tool and it'll basically let you see um, any hours of service violations, like all the inspections the drivers had over, it's either the last two or three years. I can't remember for sure which it is. But it, it will show you all that stuff. So anytime they've been inspected, if it came out good, if it came out bad, if they've had hours of service violations. And when I've seen, you know, we do a lot of help with compliance type stuff. And, and you know, we'll see a trucking company that has maybe 10 drivers. And all of a sudden they're having bad CSA scores. Their compliance stuff is, is going bad. The FMCSA is starting to look at them. And it's usually one or two drivers that cause all those problems. Wow. And so the last thing you want to do is hire one of these guys because usually you can tell if, if they've had issues with other companies, then they're probably going to have issues with you too. So super important report, look at it. And if the guy shows a history of, of having violations, you know, if they've got more than, I would even say more than one violation in a year, that's a red flag. One a year, is it a yellow flag? Uh, maybe a little <laughs> bit of a yellow flag. I mean, I can. I think that's understandable. But if they've get, got two or more in a year, or if they have one a year every year for ever, then that that to me is just you got to be extra careful yeah. with a guy like that. The do you, only do you get to see back uh, several years? So you can can you see if somebody had you know they had three violations one year and that was six years ago and they kind of cleaned up their act? You can't you can't see that far back. Okay. I think it's I think it's three years if I remember right that you can see back. Maybe only two, but you you, you can't see six. Okay, so, just curious. Yeah, if if they've cleaned you know if they've cleaned themselves up, I, I it'll totally show up. That. It'll show. But the, the other thing that um, I, w- I would want to say about this too is I would add one little tiny caveat to that because if, if their violations that they've been receiving are maintenance related, a lot of the times that's more on the company than it is the driver. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you just have these companies that just don't have a good maintenance program. They're not regularly fixing repairs like they should. And you know the driver, all the driver can really do is tell them there's an issue. It really becomes the company's responsibility to make sure it gets fixed. And some companies just aren't really great at that. Okay. All right. So context matters. Um, And you've got a a video on this one, right? I do. Yep. I've got a video that will show you how to register. If you have never registered to the PSP program, there is a small fee for most of our clients. Um, The the FMCSA charges $25 a year and then $10 every time you pull a report. So it's not crazy expensive. It does cost a little bit of money, but it is super valuable. And then there's also a video on on how to actually pull a report. Okay. Yeah. 25 bucks or, you know, I guess 
25 bucks a year and then 10 bucks per report it's yep. uh, that's a small cost to pay for making sure you get the right person uh, absolutely okay all right so uh, chris what's step five step five is it's actually a new thing it's another FMCSA program. It's called the FMCSA Drug and Alcohol Clearinghouse. Hey, at least you're getting better at saying that. <laughs> I, yeah, I haven't stepped, I haven't uh, stepped on my tongue again. <laughs> um, the other thing I th- with the clearinghouse, it's it's brand new. It just started in January of 2020, and um, it's been something that's been in the works for a really, really long time. But basically, what it is is anytime a driver is tested positive for a drug or alcohol violation or any kind of drug and alcohol violation, it has to be reported to that clearinghouse. So you can go in there and pull this driver that you're screening and you can see if they've had any drug or alcohol issues in the past. You can also see if they have had one, but they've gone through the return to duty process so that they're okay to hire now. All that stuff will show up in the clearinghouse. But keep in mind, it's only as of, I think it's the 6th of January of 2020. That's what I was going to say. So they're not pulling past violations. Not past. So starting now. It's starting now. So basically it's going to catch up and become fully functional in, in three years from the time that it started. Um, before that, you still have to do, you still have to check with their previous employer to see if there were any violations there. That's still a requirement, but I, I believe in three years, once we've got three years worth of data, gotcha. then, then it'll be, you, you won't have to do the, the pre-employment check with their previous employer regarding the drug and alcohol stuff. And so this one, uh, on the last one, you said it's not required, but you think they're stupid if they don't do it. This one is required. This you one have is required. to go through it. Yep. Okay. Do it. All right. So that's good to know. And again, show notes shows you. All yeah, the, so there I don't have a video, to. but I have a how-to guide step-by-step. Step. It shows you the link, where to do each step that you got to do. So it's it's not super hard to do. And that one's free. Okay, step six. We're getting closer to that half step. I'm really interested. So, <laughs> okay, step six. Step six is uh, check with your insurance agent. So you actually have to screen every driver typically with your insurance agent. So once you get to this point, you feel really comfortable about this person, you'll basically just provide your um, applicant's driver information to your insurance agent and they will screen them and make sure they fit within the parameters and the guidelines of the insurance policy. And yeah, simple enough. So you were already talking to your insurance agent uh, earlier in the process, probably uh, in talking about what they're going to be looking for. And now you're checking in with them again. Yep. And and you don't have to, the, the original, to set up the guidelines, that's like a one-time thing when you first hire your first driver. Once you have kind of that minimum criteria, Unless you make a big insurance change, and and those their minimum guidelines change a bunch, which they'll they'll change a little bit from from agency to agency, but typically most insurance agencies have kind of a very similar set of minimum yeah. guidelines. But then when you actually get ready to, hey, I'm I'm pretty sure I want to hire this guy. That, yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Some of those earlier steps, this is you know those are casting the wide net, but at this point. After the interview process, you've decided, you know, maybe this guy, possibly you have two candidates you want to check out. And so that's when you're doing all of this. Uh, uh, yeah, submitting the PSP to the, and the clearinghouse. stuff. Yep. And, yep. That's, that's when you're, you're pretty confident that you want to hire the person. That's when you start doing, okay. doing those. All right, cool. Uh, so step seven. Step seven, and, and this is, you're really getting close. You, you pull a copy of their MVR, their motor vehicle record. Um, if they're based, you have to do it out of the state they're based at. And sometimes your insurance agent can get this for you. Some states will allow trucking companies to actually pull it themselves with a driver's consent. You have to usually get a driver consent form to allow you to pull it. Or in other situations, you'll actually have to get the driver to request it. 
they'll get a copy of it and they can forward it to you. And, and you're just looking at their motor vehicle record to see if they've got any kind of tickets or anything like that. Right. Any, any last red flags. Yep. Uh, okay. Very good. So now we get into the half step, uh, the, which is what, why, why are we saying it's a half step? Cause it's, it's not really required by anything, but I think it's a really good business practice. Is this do. another, if you don't do this, you're stupid thing. Um, I, I kind of think so. Yeah, maybe not maybe not quite as extensive as, as the other one, but it's still um, it's still incredibly important. You remember that story that we talked an episode or two back about the guy that uh, got the, the accident, alcohol issues, yep, um, killed six guys. Um, if if his company would have done a background check, even if all the stuff hadn't shown up on the MBR, which it, it probably did, but if it hadn't a background check would have caught a lot of the alcohol issues he had had. I mean, he'd been arrested a bunch of times and DUIs and just a bunch, a bunch of crap. And so um, that's why I think it's important to, to pull this because you can see things. Yeah. So is this, um, it kind of sounds like you're, you're hunting for reasons not to hire somebody. Is that, uh, is that too harsh? Um, that may be a little bit harsh, but in reality, there's there's some truth to it for sure. You you want to protect yourself and you want to protect your company from hiring somebody that's going to cause you potential issues. And the background check's a good way to do that. You can see you know, that's that's again going back to the time that can you trust this person? Um, you, you've got to put a lot of faith in them, a lot of trust in them. And if somebody's got an extensive criminal background, you you want to be careful. Um, I. I and, and they're not super expensive. They're not super hard to do. There's a lot of services out there that provide background check screening. But with that being said, I also want to you know, say that I'm, I'm a firm believer in giving people a second chance. Um, but that second chance is going to depend on a few things. You know, I want to be able to see that they've been clean and responsible for a little while. Like if somebody just you know, committed some kind of felony in the last year, I'm, I'm probably not going to hire them. Um, I, I, I just, I want to, sh- I want them to show to me that they can be clean for a little while right. and then I'll hire them. And, and, and what that time period is, it's just going to depend on kind of the severity of the issue. But the guy who got in a bar fight when he was 23, he might, uh, <laughs> yeah, might be probably, okay. you know, if, if that was five years ago, probably even a year or two ago, maybe two years ago. Yeah. That kind of thing. I'd, no, no context big deal. context matters context does matter and so yeah. that's you if, if you find something you've, you've taken this guy all the way to this step and you find something in step eight you definitely want to find the full story okay all right very good so step eight i guess 7.5 whatever we're calling it um okay very good so that that wraps up the list uh chris and you said you also wanted to talk about not just how to hire the driver, but let's say that whoever you decide on clears all these steps. There's no red flags. There wasn't any, you know, attempted murder charge on their uh, background check or something. And so you're going ahead, you're hiring the driver. The next step, step 8.59.7, whatever we're on. I don't know. You're starting to sound like a lawyer. The the next, that's right. Yeah. It's uh yeah. It's section A point five. Yeah. Whatever. The next step is to keep that driver. Because if you have to go through this whole process every four months, six months, eight months, it's just going to kill productivity, right? It does. The truck's going to be sitting still. You're going to have to work hard on finding somebody every time. And so I, I, keeping the driver makes a lot of sense. You want to keep them. In all my years of business, this is one area where I think people really 
don't, it's hard to quantify. It's hard to put a number to how much it costs in revenue and profits of, of hiring drivers and driver turnover. But I think a lot of companies just don't give this as much attention as they possibly can. It's way, it costs a lot of money to hire somebody. It costs a lot of time. So you've got that kind of hard cost in the hiring process, but there's also a lot of costs that you don't really see. And that's costs in things like lost revenue. It's costs in things like um, your time as an owner being spent doing this instead of being spent doing more important things. And so there's, there's a lot that goes into it. And so oftentimes it's worth making some financial sacrifices with a, a driver or other kinds of sacrifices to keep them happy so that they'll stick around and they work well for you. You mentioned earlier, speaking of financial sacrifices, not the the person whose example you gave, they went from 10 to 20 trucks and then went bankrupt. You said that he was paying his drivers under market value, trying to save, trying to save yep, a few bucks, trying right? To, trying to save as much as he possibly could. And I think that that's one of the issues that Chris, you, caused him to go. You love saving money. I do. What's happened to you? Until it comes to paying people that do a good job for me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that, that's one area where I am more than happy to pay a, a little bit above average. Yeah. You, you want an above average driver and they're going to they're gonna expect above average pay. And, and in most situations, I have found that that's worth it. They'll save you in less accidents. They'll save you in, um, they, they know what they're doing. So they're, they know how to get to point A from A to B, they they know how to manage their own time. They know how to manage yeah. their hours of service. I mean, there's a lot of things that a good, good driver will be able to do that somebody with less experience or somebody that just doesn't care that has the wrong attitude just won't do. We love a good cliche around here, Chris. So how about this one? You get what you pay for. I like that. There's a lot of truth to it. All right. So um, what else are you going to do to keep your drivers around? It really just boils down to treating them well. So, you know, I definitely recommend paying that above market rate. Um, and then just do some things that make your life, their, their life's easier. You, you, you take, for example, I really try to work within Mike's schedule and it's taken us a little bit of time to kind of figure each other out. I mean, it, it, that it's the same way with any relationship, but I think we're getting better and better at it. You, you take, for example, Mike doesn't like to be rushed. He's very, very particular about being on time and he wants to make sure he can be on time. And so he doesn't want to feel like he's rushed from load to load to load. That kind of thing happens on occasion. But if you're doing it one load after another, after another, after another, there's a burnout period and you want to make sure you're not burning your drivers out. And so we've kind of found this. I I think we're we're dialing in. We're not all the way there yet. We're still new with each other, but we're dialing in um, that schedule that that works well for me and works well for Mike and uh, it is good for both of us. Well, and you're kind of hinting at something around the edges of something that I might want to point out, and that is that uh, this it's a two-way street, this is a give-and-take relationship, and the driver's expectations or the driver's habits or the driver's preferences need to be taken into account, right? Um, where you can't just lay down, you, you can't, what throw the the hammer down and say this is how it's going to be take it or leave it get out you know right does that does that make sense absolutely it's compromise it is compromise and you've got to do that you can't be the kind of manager that just yeah this is the law and this is the way it's going to be and i'm not going to make any any concessions yeah you know you've got to you've it's got to be a two-way suit You, you take for example another thing that i've I've, I've done as much as I possibly can with Mike is how, Mike gets paid by the mile. Right. And mm-hmm. so 
He doesn't get paid for sitting at a shipper. He doesn't get paid for sitting at a receiver. He gets paid for driving the truck. So when he gets back into town, oftentimes what I'll do is like, he'll get back one night and the load will deliver the next morning. We'll all go get the truck and I'll take it and deliver it, go pick up the next load. So it's all ready to go. And he gets a little bit more time at home. He gets to relax. He gets to to hang out, do the things that he needs to get done. And then when the truck's ready to go again, he could just jump in it and head out of town. And so that gives him that flexibility, a little bit of downtime, peace of mind. Plus it saves his drive time, his his hours of service time, his 70 hours that he can drive, his 11 hours in a day that he can drive. It saves two driving instead of, you know, fueling the truck or, you know, spending time at a shipper receiver. And, and it's really in a lot of ways, a win-win. It makes him happy. It helps the company out and it, it's, it's just, it's good. Yeah, very nice. All right, Chris, I, I feel like we've reached a natural conclusion here. You've kept your driver. Congratulations. You know, well, okay. How long has Mike been with you? Three months? He's, he's been with us three months. I, I do want to give, well, maybe not quite three months, but I, I want to tell one more story okay, sure. um, about dropping off a load. So um, I, I just barely recently, I've done this a couple times. Well, probably I think three times now, but I just did it a, a, a little over a week ago and I went and pick up the truck and it was actually um, a, a place where we had to go a little bit out of town. It was about 40, 40 miles outside of the Salt Lake area, um, not quite an hour away from my home. So I drive out there, um, unload the truck, get everything unloaded. And, and, and because I'm not doing this every day anymore, I feel like I've regressed a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, kind of back to rookie mistakes. <laughs> well, I decided I, I, I left my, I forgot my load bar, my load bars um, at the, at the receiver. Uh-oh. And so, um, you know, they're, they're 75, you know, they're the kind of the expensive time kind of have, um, easy tracks in the trailer. And, and so they're pretty nice load bars and left them there. And I didn't notice it until I was about like five miles back from home. So oh, no. I ended up parking the truck, driving my car all the way out there, <laughs> putting, I've got a little SUV, putting the load bars in the back of the SUV, you know, String them between the seats, yeah, just barely yeah. getting them in because they're they're long, and uh, yeah, rookie mistakes. Just did you know stupid things? It's so funny. It, it's just about any skill, right? If you're not constantly doing it, you're regressing. Yeah, it's yeah. funny. I yeah, I I'm I guess I have a short term memory because it seems like I do that all the time if I'm not <laughs> constantly staying on top of things. Well, I look forward to everybody finding Holland Assets on Facebook and uh, you know elbowing Chris in the ribs, making fun <laughs> of him a little bit for his rookie ways. You could you could do that all the, all you want. <laughs> <laughs> so go find us there. And uh, again, we've hit this you know five times this episode, but go to hollandassetsllc.com. There is so much information from this episode in the show notes there. So please go check those out. Uh, and it will make what Chris has talked about today a lot more illuminating and helpful. And uh, it'll just help you in the long term if you go there. So uh, otherwise, leave those reviews, tell your friends. Uh, referrals are the greatest thing that you can give a podcast. Uh, so tell your friends about the podcast if they might find it helpful as well. And uh, anything else, Chris? One last parting thought okay. about the next episode. I'm super excited about oh, it. Oh, okay. I haven't even told you yet. No, you haven't. Um, I think the next episode, I, and I it's don't know if it's going to be one of the or rings. two. It's, it's going to be my episode. <laughs> it's about the Lord of the Rings and trucking. How long would it take to truck across Middle Earth? <laughs> 
no, sorry no, to okay. disappoint you. No, dang. I, I think we're going to, I'm starting to work on a year in review. So oh, we've been okay. going for over a year now. I, yeah. I want to show the the financials for a full year, just some of the things I've learned and, and everything. I think it's going to be at least one, if not two great episodes that kind of go through the whole first year. Very nice. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this for a long time. So I think it should be good, a good episode. For good. Sure. So this will it'll be like those uh, the the financials, the monthly financials episodes we do, but on, on crack. steroids. Yeah. yeah, crack. Well, if you you do crack, I do steroids. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm just gonna leave that one alone. All right, we're walking away from this. Thanks for listening, everybody, and uh, we'll see you next next week for uh, maybe a year in ne- review. Next week, maybe two. There's okay. a lot of work that's gonna go into it, so we may have to take a week off. Just getting this one up all and right. going. All right. Well, but soon. Way. We'll see you soon. All right. Thanks, everybody. See you.